It's great to be with you here this morning. It's great to have the opportunity to stand up before you and share the Word of God with you this morning. And as Pastor Steve mentioned, and as many of you know, uh, myself and a group of 50 others from the high school ministry recently returned from a mission trip to Haiti. It was actually three weeks ago from today that we returned. And uh, Pastor Tim has asked me to share some about that trip, some testimonies and stories, as we walk through a passage of Scripture. So as you can, ima- um, as you can imagine, uh, going into the trip, we thought one of our greatest challenges would be the language barrier. They speak Haitian Creole where we were going, and we do not. And so uh, we knew it was going to be a challenge going into that. Because it's not easy to try to learn a new language in a short amount of time, right? I mean, consider if I were to give you the challenge right now. To give you the challenge of trying to learn the German language in the next 30 days. Alright? And if you are willing to accept this challenge and succeed, I will give you $10 million. Okay? There you go. There's a challenge I'm setting before you. Now, imagine if you were to take that challenge. What would your life be like for the next month? I don't know about you, but yeah, someone just said it. If it were me, my life would be all about one thing. It'd be about the German language. I mean, I would try to get my hands on every German textbook and CD and video that I possibly could. Of course, I would buy Rosetta Stone, right? Uh Uh-huh, uh-huh. And I would be listening to these CDs like every second of every day. I'd listen to them in my car. I'd listen to them while I was in the shower. I'd leave them on when I was sleeping at night just to try to soak in every ounce I could. I mean, I'd be watching German YouTube videos. I would buy a German Shepherd, all right? (laughs) I would just do absolutely everything I possibly could to try to soak up the German language. I would be all about one thing. So this morning, the question I want you to consider is what is your one thing? What is the one thing that you live for? What is the one thing that you crave? What is the one thing that you pursue each and every day? In 1 Kings chapter 19, we see an awesome story of a man named Elisha who has no doubt about one thing. And we also see our need as men and women uh, to be a man and woman of one thing as well. So if you have your Bible, and I hope you do, please turn with me to 1 Kings chapter 19. And if you do not have a Bible, if you would throw your hand up in the air, we would love to get one to you. 1 Kings chapter 19, story of Elisha. We see our need to be a man or woman of one thing. All right, before we dive into the passage, it's always good to get a little context, right? Kind of figure out what's going on in the story before uh, we jump into it. And so that requires us to uh, know and understand a little bit about a man named Elijah. And as you probably know, Elijah was a prophet of the Lord, and he had been for a number of years, and the Lord had used him uh, to do many great things, and he was able to see and be a part of some uh, incredible things. But he also faced some significant challenges um, along the way as well. 
And so um, this is the passage that we're going to be looking at today and, and kind of focusing in on here. And it's important to know that in chapter 18, right before uh, the, the passage we're, we're looking at, um, that the, the, the Lord has, has come to uh, Elijah and his time on this earth is coming to an end. And so the Lord comes to Elijah and he tells him basically that it's time for him to pass the torch of being a prophet to this man, Elisha. Okay, and so Elijah leaves and he begins to seek out this man, Elisha. And that's where we pick up in first Kings chapter 19, verse 19. And this is what it says. So he departed, he being Elijah. So he departed from there and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen in front of him. And he was with the 12th. Elijah passed by him and cast his cloak upon him. And he left the oxen and he ran after Elijah and he said, let me kiss my father and my mother and then I will follow you. And he said to him, go back again for what have I done to you? And he returned from following him and he took the yoke of oxen and sacrificed them and boiled their flesh with the yokes of the oxen. And he gave it to the people and they ate. Then he arose and went after Elijah and assisted him. That's an incredible story. I mean, there's no doubt from reading this passage that Elisha is a man of one thing. I mean, I don't know if you, if you really get the, the, the full picture of what's going on here. If we, if we fully grasp it from just kind of reading through the passage once, it's almost like you have to really visualize the scene and imagine it, it actually taking place to fully grasp what's going on here. So Elisha is out in his fields and he's plowing and it's probably like any other day for him. And the text says that he has 12 oxen. It's a clear indication that Elisha is a pretty wealthy man. All right. So it's a normal day and he's out in the field and he's plowing with these oxen. And just kind of out of nowhere, Elijah walks up to him and he places his cloak upon him. It's a symbolic act showing that he's passing uh, the office of prophet from himself to Elisha. And almost immediately, we see Elisha leave the oxen, and he runs after Elijah. And he goes up to him, and he asks him a question. And he says, can I go say goodbye to my mother and father? And Elijah's response is basically, yes, go ahead. Who am I to stop you? And so then Elisha leaves, finds his mother and his father, talks with them. And then he takes the oxen that he is plowing with. And he slaughters them. And he takes the farm equipment that he is using, the yokes of the oxen, and he chops them up. And he uses that as firewood to uh, prepare a feast uh, with the oxen that he had just slaughtered. To throw this grand, massive party for all of his friends and all of his family to celebrate the calling that the Lord has placed on his life. And this new mission that the Lord has given him. And he leaves everything behind to be a man of one thing and follow the calling the Lord has placed on his life. It's incredible. He's a man of one thing. I mean, you see the, the, the single focus. You see the passion. You see the single-mindedness in this man, Elisha. And in the Bible, uh, there is a word for this single-mindedness. And it's a word that maybe we don't use real often. It's the word zeal. 
And in Romans chapter 12, verse 11, the Apostle Paul says that we, as followers of Jesus Christ, should never be lacking in zeal. All right? So if he says that we should never be lacking in it, we better make sure that we have a pretty good idea of what it is and how to do it. And I think one of the best definitions of zeal can be found by an old pastor named J.C. Ryle. And this is what he said. He said, a zealous man is preeminently a man of one thing. He only sees one thing. He cares for one thing. He lives for one thing. He's swallowed up in one thing. And that one thing is pleasing God. Whether he lives or whether he dies. Whether he has sickness or whether he has health. Whether he has wealth or whether he is poor. Whether he's thought wise or whether he's thought foolish. Whether he offends men or whether he receives praise. Whether he gets blame, whether he gets shame, or whether he gets honor. The zealous man cares nothing at all. For he burns for one thing, and that one thing is to please God and to advance his glory. And even if he is consumed in the very burning, he cares not. For he feels that he is like a candle. He was made to burn. And the zealous man, he will give the Lord no rest until he finds a sphere for his zeal. And if he cannot teach and preach and serve, then he will pray and sigh and cry out to God and give him no rest until the Lord has given him work to do. This is what we're talking about when we talk about a zealous man. And there's no doubt Elisha was a zealous man, a man of one thing. And we see from the passage, just as we talked about, it's obvious that he was a man of one thing, that he was zealous for the Lord before Elijah showed up. I mean, the moment that Elijah shows up, it it was obvious that Elisha, he was prepared. He was already about one thing. He was ready to go the moment Elijah passed that cloak to him. And it reminds me of a young lady a high school student who went on our Haiti mission trip. She was uh, and and is uh, very much so a young woman of one thing. And, And she was prepared the moment the Lord called her to go on this trip. She was ready and she was ready to get up and go. And that is seen by an email she sent me uh, back in February. Her name is Casey, and uh, when she sent this email, it was actually the week before I was about to announce this trip to our students. And at this time in February, I'd actually not ever yet met Kate, Casey. Uh, her family had just started coming to Harvest, and uh, she sent this email to me, reaching out, uh, asking if we were going to have any upcoming trips, mission trips, uh, for our high school students. And this is the email that she sent me. She says, hi, my name is Casey, and I'm a senior at Washington High School. I'm contacting you because I feel God is telling me to contact someone at Harvest. I'm wondering if there are any mission trips for senior high, or maybe after I graduate in May. The passion that God has placed on my heart since the age of nine is caring for orphans. God has called me to do this in this particular season of my life. So I'm just wondering if there are any opportunities coming up. No opportunities have come up yet, but that is okay. I know that God has called me to do this at some point in my life. I have faith, and I completely believe that when an opportunity does arise, it will be in his timing. Until then, I'm taking all the steps that I have to, getting my passport, getting my shots, 
etc. So when he calls me to go, I can get up and go. And so uh, her call to go came the next day in an email as I responded to her. And just as Elisha was all about one thing and was ready to go the moment Elijah showed up, this young lady, she was all about one thing and she was ready to go the moment the opportunity rose up. Incredible. So the question I want you to consider again this morning is what is your one thing? What is your one thing? And are you willing to go wherever the Lord leads you? And are you ready to do whatever the Lord leads you to do? And are you willing to give up whatever it takes to be a man or woman of one thing? And that kind of leads us to our next point. If you're following along with us in the bulletin to be a man or woman of one thing. To be a man or woman of one thing, we need to release control. We need to release control and live selflessly for our king. We need to release control and live selflessly for our king. We see Elisha clearly doing this in in many ways throughout this passage. And as we look back to verse 19, we'll see that Elisha is willing to release Really, um, one of the most difficult things uh, we can be asked to release in this process of responding to the call of God upon his life. He is willing to release the control that he has with the relationships with his family. Look back to verse 19 with me. This is what it says. It's actually verse 20. He says, And he left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, Let me kiss my father and my mother then I will follow you. So again, I get this picture in my mind of Elisha going to find his mother and father. It seems from the text that they, they live near to each other uh, in the same community, uh, probably lived near each other their entire lives. And it was probably a, a very comfortable, uh, great relationship. And so then Elisha goes to find his mother and father. To tell them that the Lord has placed this calling upon his life. And that he was going to leave. And he didn't know when they would ever see him again. Or what would happen. Or if he would ever see them again. And I'm sure that was challenging for Elisha. To go to his parents. And say goodbye to them. And release control of that relationship in a sense. But now, being a parent myself, I think, how much more challenging was it for his parents to hear that news and to release control of the relationship that they had with their son? Not knowing, as I said, when they would see him again, not knowing what he would do, not knowing if he would ever come back. What a challenge it was for them to to release control of that relationship and allow their son to be a man of one thing for the Lord. Man, I saw this happening like crazy with our Ignite students and their parents as we began to prepare for this trip. And you can imagine some of our students um, found it difficult and and challenging to kind of release their parents and, and break free from them to go on this faraway trip. 
And, and that was a challenge for, for, for many of them, for sure. But oh, it was so much more challenging as I talked to many of the parents of students on this trip to release control of their child to go to this faraway third world country not knowing exactly what may happen to them or what may take place on the trip. And I saw parents wrestling with it and struggling with releasing control of their children to allow them to be a man or woman of one thing. And in particular, I got an email um, from one of the mothers of one of the daughters who went on the trip. And the night before, I'd sent her an email uh, letting her know that her daughter had received full support to go on the trip. And then this was her response to me uh, the next morning with this email. And you see her her struggle uh, to release control of her daughter in this email and the work that God was doing in her own heart through this. She said, Good morning, Shane. Wow, what an email blessing to receive this morning with my coffee. My daughter's heart has been in this trip from the moment she found out about the opportunity. In the interest of full disclosure, though, her mama's heart has been slower to warm to the idea. We're never quite prepared for our child to say, I would like to travel to Haiti. But through much prayer and the prayers of our impact group, I've been experiencing greater peace about her participation God has has shown us through each step of the preparation that he will be with her and that her decision to participate was growth in her own journey of faith. And today's email is one more reminder. Incredible to see this mother just faithfully be a woman of one thing and to the point of releasing control of her precious high school daughter to go to an unknown land to experience unknown things and totally let go and release control to be a woman of one thing, to allow her daughter to be a young woman of one thing and selflessly serve the Lord. Incredible. And as we go back through the passage, we see Elisha uh, just really in a moment, just in a moment, releasing control of almost everything else in his life that he's known up to this point to this time. As we saw in verse 21, as he slaughters his oxen and as he chops up his farm equipment, in that moment, he basically, he releases control of his wealth. He releases control of his occupation and his opportunity to ever return to his previous life and calling. He releases control of his comfort as he sets out to follow Elijah, not knowing what, will, 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 what the future will hold for him, not knowing what it will truly mean to be a prophet of the Lord. He releases his future. He releases his safety. He releases his health. He really releases all things and trusts in the Lord to be a man of one thing and answer the call that God has placed on his life. And time and again, as we prepared for this Haiti mission trip, I saw students doing this, I saw leaders doing this, and I saw parents releasing these things for the glory of God. Just a few examples. I saw a father release his wealth, at least part of his wealth, and he sold his motorcycle so his daughter could go on the trip. I saw a student release her comfort 
She gave up her class trip to go to Italy to see the beautiful sights of Italy. She gave it up to go on this Haiti mission trip to see the poverty of a third world country, but yet see the beautiful children that were there. And I saw an Ignite leader. I saw her release um, her health and release her safety. And I saw her release the health and the safety of her unborn child. Her name is Abby, Abby Vaughn. And about a week before the trip, she called me kind of unexpectedly. And I answered the phone and she said, there's something I need to tell you. And I said, okay, great. What's that? She said, I just found out I'm pregnant. And so my response was like, great, that's awesome. Congratulations. Woohoo. You know, and like, I just didn't get it. Okay. And so then she kind of filled me in and, and said, that's kind of how us guys are, right? Sometimes. And, and so then she, she told me that her doctor was telling her that she should not go on this mission trip to Haiti. Uh, he feared that if she were to have any complications, uh, she, she, he feared the, the medical treatment that she might receive there in Haiti would, would not be good and really would be a threat to her life. And so uh, we talked about it, and of course I encouraged her to talk more with her husband Trevor about it and to pray about it more and uh, to talk to me again in a few days. And of course we would be supportive of whatever they decided. And so uh, a few days later, Abby shows up at my office and she sits down in front of me. And honestly, at this point, I'm fully expecting her to say that she is no longer going on the trip. And I totally would have understood why. And I would have supported her in that decision. But she looked at me and she said, the world would say I should not go on this trip. My doctor would say that I should not go on this trip. But Trevor and I, we don't feel like this decision is about me. This decision is about the Lord. And he has given, a, given me this opportunity to go on this trip. And he has provided the funds for me to go on this trip. And I feel like, we feel like, we need to trust in the Lord and, and let go of, of our control and trust in him and be not about our comfort, but about our king. Whew. Just telling that story, I get a little emotional um, to see that young lady just so willing to release control and trust in the Lord. And by his grace, she did go on the trip and uh, she served her heart out there and, and just poured out the love of Christ uh, to those children at the VBS and Jacques Mel. And by the grace of God, he protected her and he protected that little one that was growing inside of her. And I talked to her yesterday and, and she is and her little baby are both doing great right now. Amen. 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 Rejoice. Praise God. <clears throat> and so um, these are, are just several examples of how the Lord was working before we left on the trip. And then as we gathered uh, that day to leave uh, three weeks ago from today, uh, from the moment we gathered, we continued uh, to face challenge after challenge after challenge. 
um, and had to decide, would we live for our comfort or would we live for our king? So we met here at 1.40 a.m. on that Sunday, and we took a, a bus ride to Chicago. We flew out of Chicago to Miami. From Miami, we arrived in Port-au-Prince. We fought through the craziness of the airport of people trying to take your bags and, and get money from you and so on and so forth. And we loaded on to these uh, two 25-passenger buses to begin the 51-mile, five-and-a-half-hour bus ride. Yes, I said that right. 51 mile, five and a half hour bus ride up one side of a mountain and down another. All right. And as we began to ascend the mountain, as the sun began to set and the driver turned off the air conditioning in the van, I could see um, that discomfort was setting in. And I could see that all adrenaline was wearing off. And at about that moment, I saw one of our young ladies throw a window open, launch herself halfway outside of the bus, and begin throwing up over and over again as two other girls held her legs due to motion sickness. And she climbed back into the bus and had a huge smile on her face. True story. And so hours later, we finally arrived at the hotel in Jacques Mel. It was uh, about 1030. And as you can imagine, uh, we were all just, just ready to crash at that point. And for some reason, still unknown to me to this day, it took them three hours to get us the rooms to the, the keys to the hotel rooms. And so we sat there and waited uh, in the heat, in the lobby, with no air conditioning, and just waited for our keys. And so finally, almost 24 hours later, around 1.30, the last person got their room key and headed up to the room for the night to get a short night of sleep for the day of work that lied ahead of us. And so we met for breakfast uh, just a few hours later at 7 o'clock that morning. And we all knew it was going to be a big, long day of work. And of course, we needed a good breakfast to jumpstart our day, right? And so the workers there at the hotel, they bring out our breakfast. And it's in these big silver platters, which just looked awesome, that had lids on them. And they brought them out and they set them down. And we were getting ready to, to have this great breakfast feast, right? And so we walk over and we take the lids off the platters. And I promise you inside was legit white bread and butter. And that is it. It was not toast. There was no toaster in sight. It was white bread and butter was the breakfast that we had. All right. So we ate our prison breakfast and we got onto the bus, which was made for like 40 people. And 60 of us got on the bus and rode the bumpy ride to the site where the VBS was was going to take place. And when we walked through the gate of the VBS site, what lied before us was over 700 Haitian children waiting for the 51 of us to lead them. 700 Haitian children. That's kind of overwhelming. Everyone say overwhelming. 
Yes, it was very overwhelming. I mean, just to try to help grasp a picture of what that might look like. Uh, everyone just right now where you're, where you're seated, just look around the room and look at all the people that are seated in here. Everyone just kind of look around and you kind of see up in the screen all the people that are seated here. If you were to add maybe 250 or so people to this crowd right now, that would be around the same amount of Haitian children that were there waiting for us. All right? And they could not speak our language. And so for the next eight hours, in a heat index of around 125 degrees, we shared Bible stories, we did crafts, we played games, uh, we had dance parties with these kids to Ricky Martin. I don't know why they, the, they picked the music there for us. And we just, we poured out the love of Christ. And I watched these students pour out the love of Christ uh, to these children, carrying them around on their shoulders, um, having them sleep in their, in their arms, uh, sharing the gospel with them, uh, sharing their testimony with these children. And it was an incredible uh, thing to see. And so then we get back to the hotel and everyone, of course, is just ready to crash. Everyone's wanting to take a shower just to, you know, kind of get cleaned up and, and uh, feel human again a little bit, right? And so uh, we all go to take a shower and, and very quickly we all learned and decided that the showers were possessed. All right. I'm serious. Sometimes you turn the shower on and just scalding hot water would come out and that would be all you would get. And then the next time you turn it on, it'd be freezing cold water and that would be all you would get. It'd never be like somewhere right in between. Right. And sometimes you would turn the shower on and it would shoot out at you like a fire hydrant and almost like knock you down. And then the next time you would turn it on, it would come out like a water fountain. Like ding, 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 ding. Right. Sometimes the shower would spit at you. It'd be like choo. Choo, choo. You know, just these hot bursts of, of hot, scolding hot water coming out of you. Sometimes the shower would not turn on at all. And then sometimes you'd be laying in bed and just out of nowhere, the shower would come on. All right. You can't make this stuff up, people. I mean, this is what was happening day in and day out. And so um, after we go to our rooms, it's dinner time and we're hoping for a little more food uh, this time as, as we go to dinner to kind of recharge. And oh, there was a lot more food this time. And it was, um, it was rather interesting, ranging from fish heads to uh, goat vertebra to conch to other mystery meats still unknown to this day. Um, we got all the food that we needed uh, when we went to dinner time. And I think that's probably what led to another continual issue throughout the week was the clogged toilets that we had in our rooms, all right? So it's humbling and a little embarrassing to walk around uh, from room to room and say, can I use your toilet? Ours is clogged. Oh, I'm sorry, ours is clogged too, right? And then you move on to the next room and the plunger that we had that was like from 1937 was passed around like candy that week. It was a hot commodity and uh, it was it was a challenge. And one student actually, one student got locked in the bathroom for 20 minutes. And we actually had to take the hinges off the door to remove him from the bathroom, okay? Just instance after instance after instance of discomfort. But I can honestly tell you that in that week, 
I truly never heard a student complain one time. And I can honestly tell you that I've never seen a group of students or really even a group of people that were so willing to live for their king rather than for their comfort. And as a result, man, we got to see uh, God do some incredible, incredible things that week as we ministered to the children uh, at VBS and Jock Mel. Watch this video. Giving. Uh, big. Wonderful chaos. Christ alone. God moving. Beautiful feet. Halfway through our week in Haiti, I told our students that I usually see them at church uh, with their nice clothes on and their hair done and their makeup on. And I told them that I'd never seen them this dirty and this smelly. And I also told them that I'd never seen them more beautiful than this as well. We began preparing for this trip uh, back in March as we partnered with Pastor Abraham and his church in Jockmel, Haiti, which is now in the process of becoming a Harvest Bible Chapel. And together, we led a vacation Bible school for the children in Jockmel, Haiti. Insane and inspiring. Completely rocked. Shocking. Heartbreaking. So one of the things I was really worried about going to Haiti was the language barrier, just not being able to connect or, I mean, talk. But one of the ways that God really just like blew my mind was that you didn't even notice it. Like this little girl, the very first day, came up behind me and like pulled on my skirt and I turned around and she was on the other side of me. So I turned around the other way and then she was on the other side. And when I finally caught her, she's just like giggling like crazy and just the cutest little thing. She is beautiful and amazing. And we just connected all week and just the bond that was there was completely godly and it was amazing. And I will love her forever, and it was absolutely just a God working. And he's so much greater than a language barrier. Man, the challenges we faced gave God the opportunity to do some incredible things. As we saw over 120 Haitian children put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. I saw students stepping out of their comfort zones, uh, loving the Haitian children deeply, and even meeting the needs of one another. Humbling. Amazing. Breathtaking. Love. For his glory. Insane, but awesome. Well, in general, I'm not really good in front of crowds. Um, and I was selected to be part of the Bible story team. So that was going to be fun. And that's 800 kids that you have to talk to. Not all at once, but in general, that's, that's a lot of kids. And also, they didn't speak my language. But when I got up there and did it, it was way easier. It was like God was choosing my words for me. And it was kind of cool because in that moment, I was doing the same exact thing I was telling the kids to do. I was stepping outside of my comfort zone. It was a long, exhausting week of ministry. We were constantly challenged to focus not on our comfort, but our King. And as we kept our eyes on the Lord, by His grace, we got to see Him do mighty things. Well, on the third day, it was uh, Wednesday, I asked who truly wants Jesus Christ in their heart. 
and this young man, he was about 11, raised his hand. There's a little girl who looked at me and stood up and raised her hand. A 15-year-old boy in the back raised his hand. He said, um, can anyone have this, or can I have this? And he asked um, the interpreter if he could have Christ in his heart. We were like, yes, yes you can. I prayed in English, and then he prayed in Creole, and she um, repeated it back. It was the coolest thing I've ever heard. We were sick, we were tired, it was hot, and it didn't matter. It was, we were, it was It's the most joy you can ever feel in, in uh, leading kids to Christ. And, um, you know, having crazy dance parties, and they're hugging you when you're sweaty, and it doesn't even matter. They're, we're all sweaty and gross, and we're just humans there together, you know, loving, having joy in God. And there's, there's nothing better than that. So. You see in John 6:44 how it says um, Jesus is talking, and he says how we need to be drawn. Um, by the Father, and just, so it's crazy just to see how, you know, we can't even, like, talk to the kids, really, and just seeing how that verse is so true, where it's like, you know, nothing any man can say will give someone salvation, but just that it has to be a work of God, and it was just incredible to see, um, you know, God do that, where it's like, we can't even communicate, but he still somehow managed to, you know, give 125 kids eternity with him in heaven. And that was just mind-blowing. Uplifting. Humbling experience. God saves. Wow. He is mighty, amen? He is Lord, amen? He is our saving King, amen? I just have to imagine that one day in heaven... These 120 plus Haitian children will come running up to our students and will say, thank you. Thank you for for living for our king. And they will uh, just rejoice together. It was just so incredible to see these young people um, live for one thing and release control of their comfort to selflessly serve these children and to serve the Lord. And honestly, it's been really cool to see the effect that it's had on these students as we've returned from Haiti over these last three weeks. Uh, seeing these students really just care for one another and seeing them step up and, and serve in a greater way at Ignite and to see their, their passion for the Lord and for uh, the children that they worked with in, in Haiti continue to grow as they pray for them. I just pulled a few uh, posts off Facebook recently from a few of these students just to give you uh, kind of a taste of what's going on in the hearts and lives of these students as they return from the trip. One student said, uh, the culture shock coming home brings me to tears. How much we have and how little they have. We take it for granted every single day. The whole team has really learned to stop complaining as much as we can. We've been keeping each other accountable. We've been growing in our faith and in our friendships together. This trip has truly changed my life, and I would give anything to go back. And then another student, um, after she kind of described how God had worked in the lives of the Haitian children there, she said, it's so awesome to see how God also moved in 51 Americans as well. Right now, I know me and my, my team family, we all want to call ourselves Haitian. We want to go back to the beautiful country. 
We ache for it. But we are ready to be used for God's glory in America. It's awesome to see the servant hearts at Ignite last night. Lord, send me. And so it's been incredible to watch these students just really live for one thing. But you know, it's really the same opportunity that you and I uh, have each and every day to choose to release control of all things and live for our king. And interestingly, in the, in the New Testament, there's a story that's very similar to the, the story of Elisha in the Old Testament. It's a story that you're probably familiar with. Uh, it's a story that's commonly referred to as Jesus and the rich young ruler. And, and the way that they are similar is really striking in a lot of ways. The only thing that, that really is, is drastically different is the outcome of the story. The outcome is drastically different, uh, really tragic, I would say. And so perhaps you know the story. Jesus is walking along the road, and, and this man, this rich young ruler, he comes running up uh, to Jesus. And he was rich, and he was young, like Elisha was rich, and he was young. And the rich young ruler, he comes running up to Jesus, and he says, uh, What must I do to receive eternal life? And after some dialogue, and they, they kind of go back and forth, Jesus hits him with this statement. He says, go and sell everything you have and give it to the poor and then follow me. See, Jesus knew that this rich young ruler, he wasn't trusting in Christ alone. He was trusting in his wealth and he was trusting in his possessions. And so Jesus was asking him to set those aside, to release control of those things, and fully put your trust and faith in me. And the text says that when Jesus said this, the rich young ruler, his face fell. And he walked away sad because he was a wealthy man. And so here we see this rich young ruler. He's holding so tightly to his possessions and to his wealth and to his money. He's, he's gripping them and holding them so tightly. He's unwilling to release control of them. He's holding to them so tightly that he misses what God has for him. Tragic, tragic, tragic. And I, I just have to wonder, I have to wonder what he missed and what God might have done through him if he would have been willing to release control and follow him. We see Elisha release it all and live for one thing, and he goes out with a party and with a celebration. But the rich young ruler, he holds tightly to what he has, and he walks away sad. So the question for us as we reflect upon these stories, is who are you living like? Are you living like Elisha? Or are you living like the rich young ruler? Are you living like Elisha? Or are you living like the rich young ruler? Are you living like Elisha? And are you willing and even joyfully willing to release control of all things in your life, to release your wealth, to release your future, to release your control, to release your health, to release your safety, 
and follow the Lord and be a man or woman of one thing for God's glory? Or are you like the rich young ruler? And are you holding so tightly and gripping so closely these things, your wealth, your control, your comfort, your future, your family, that you're unwilling to release them? And you're living for self, which ultimately leads to sadness. So this is a question we need to consider. And honestly, I think this is a battle that we fight daily as wealthy Americans. And I think we need to start each day with a prayer. A prayer maybe similar to a great missionary named Jim Elliott, who was martyred for his faith in the Lord. And this is what he prayed. He said, Father, let me be weak. Let me be weak that I might loosen my clutch on everything temporary. My life, my reputation, my possessions. Lord, let me loosen the tension of the grasping hand and rather open my hand to receive the nail of Calvary as Christ's hands were opened. That I, releasing all, might be unleashed from all that binds me now. Friends, the Lord, he has blessed us with so much. He has blessed us with so much. What opportunity we have to joyfully release these things so that we may bless others for his glory. I mean, just consider some of the needs that exist in our world today. Each and every day, each and every day, 26,000 children die from hunger and preventable diseases. 26,000 children die each day. In the time that we have met here for this service, that's approximately 2,000 children that will die as we meet here from simply preventable diseases and hunger. And what opportunity do we have to release our wealth and allow God to use us and what he has given us uh, to meet some incredible needs and provide life for these children through partnering with various organizations. There, uh, there's a number of ways uh, that you can do that. And, and even to have the opportunity to release our wealth here in our own community. As you heard Pastor Steve share a little bit early, just even simply releasing a little bit of our wealth to provide a backpack and school supplies for children that are in need. The opportunities are all around us to release our wealth and to bless others for God's glory. Or consider the fact that in the world today, there's approximately 210 million orphans. And in the United States alone, there are 400,000 children that are in need of foster care. And these children, they're desperately in need of a home. They're desperately in need uh, of security. They're desperately in need of just the basic necessities of life. And so I ask you this morning, would you consider, would you even consider praying about adopting or fostering this morning? Would you even consider just praying about it? Just praying about adopting or fostering 
these children that have such desperate need this morning. Now, I know we hear that. It's like our first reaction is, whoa, that's scary. What if that child comes into my home and has severe health issues or severe behavior issues? Release control, my friends. Release your comfort, my friends, and trust in the Lord. But you say, what if, what if this child comes into my home and the legal system gets involved and they're pulled out and they're, they're put back in and I just don't know what's going to happen? Release your future, my friend. Release your comfort. Release your family even. Trust in the Lord. Would you consider even praying about fostering and adopting this morning? And again, there's ways we can meet this, this need, um, just even through Harvest Bible Chapel. And each fall, we offer the opportunity for, for you and I to serve as a mentor in the East Peoria school system. And it gives you the opportunity to go into the school and mentor and connect with a child that very likely is either without a mother or a father or, or both. And so you have this opportunity to release control of your time and be a man or woman of one thing and minister to and love on a child in the East Peoria School District. Or consider the fact that somewhere, uh, there's somewhere around 4 billion people in the world today that if they were to die because they have not yet put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, they would spend eternity separated from God. And some of these people have never even heard the name of Jesus. Would you be willing to release control of all things in your life and go on a mission trip to share the good news of Jesus Christ with these people? Or would you even be willing to walk across the street or walk next door and invite your neighbor uh, over for dinner or invite them to church and begin uh, to build a relationship with them so that they may one day have the hope that you have. The needs, they're abundant and the magnitude of them are so great and they surround us all the time. There is no time for us to live for our comfort. We must live for our kings. We must live for our king. And so I ask you this morning, ask you this morning, what is the one thing that is holding you back? What is the one thing that is holding you back from allowing God to do mighty things through you? Is it a lack of trust? Is it a lack of faith? Is it doubt? Well, friends, you need to slaughter those oxen and you need to chop up that farm equipment and you need to lay those things down before the Lord and trust in him and be a man or woman of one thing and trust that he will provide, he will meet your needs, he will give you what you need as you step out in faith. And what is the the one thing? What is the one thing that you are holding on to so tightly and unwilling to let go of that it is preventing you from doing what God would like to accomplish through you? Is it your comfort? Is it your wealth? Is it your future? Is it your your safety? 
Well, God is calling you to to open your hand and to release your grip on these things so that the gospel may be unleashed through you as you reach out and serve and bless and share the good news of Jesus Christ with other people. God is calling us to release control of all things, to be a man or woman of one thing for his glory and for his honor. Let's pray.